0: This is Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George, broadcasting on CFUR 88.7, and I'm your host, Stuart Parker. is Monday morning, 11 a.m. Pacific on May the 10th in beautiful Prince George, British Columbia. I'm Stuart Parker, and this is yet another edition of Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George. We have a panel discussion for you today, taking up our whole hour. I've brought together an eclectic group of folks to talk about the big political shifts that have been happening in the region east of Vancouver, known as the Fraser Valley. Once upon a time, British Columbia's Bible Belt. Today, perhaps something else. Joining me on the line from uh, various points uh, Avneet Joe Hall uh, calling in from uh, Kitsilano, Cheryl Leans, a uh, longtime friend of the show, calling in from Langley. Uh, Dean McGee from uh, Fleetwood in Surrey. Ian Roxborough-Smith. You're based in Abbotsford now, is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Now, um, Ian teaches at University of Fraser Valley. Um uh, Avneet is a Fraser Valley expatriate, uh, polymath higher education worker. Uh, Cheryl, of course, we know from the political panel, a uh, successful green candidate organizer and public health uh, official, uh, Dean McGee, um, uh, longtime uh, parent and disability activist, and also former Green candidate. So folks, the Fraser Valley, uh, the thing that we might define as the area east of Burns Bog, uh, uh, areas that drain into the Fraser River and not into Burrard Inlet, uh, soon to be the most populous area of the province. And last election, we saw a massive political shift Whereas John Horgan had invested over a billion dollars in winning a riding like Skeena uh, and uh, went to tremendous efforts to show rural industrial workers he was on their side, the NDP picked up less than no seats in BC's industrial heartland. But in this area that we used to call the Bible Belt, uh, the NDP piled up this huge majority uh, seemingly out of nowhere. But for those who've lived in the region, those who've uh, done politics there, studied the region, this may be less surprising. So I think I'll just begin with a round of asking folks, what changed last election? What? Um, why did we see this huge shift in uh, Fraser Valley voting patterns? And um, uh, let's, uh, so just hypothesize
1: wildly, uh, let's start with Dean. Well, what I saw in Surrey is I saw a terrible campaign from the liberals. They, uh, they picked candidates that, uh, I mean, I was basically a newcomer running for the greens, but the liberals had people that had no experience and no skills. And then they picked one a remnant from the 90s to run in Surrey, and they looked that they were not trying to win, like they decided another four years in purgatory was better than trying to handle the economy and the COVID crisis.
0: So there's a deliberate throwing of the election theory, uh, sure this look. is a solid start. Um, Avnit, um what changes do you think have led up to this big electoral shift?
2: Uh, It's a great question. I think a lot of these shifts are a little more gradual than we might expect. Of course, the results are always more dramatic when there's that that tipping point or something changes. And I'm glad you've offered an invitation to hypothesize wildly. So I will do exactly that. And I'll pick two two areas for, for that. And I think one is, I would say, transportation. I think transportation is a key issue when you start moving beyond Metro Vancouver. And I think about Langley in particular, during the campaign, lots of conversation around transportation and what the NDP were promising. And so I think that is something that we have to keep, keep in mind and keep in focus when you think about about a third of the Abbotsford labor force is working outside of Abbotsford and they're commuting to other places. And so that I think is, is a key issue for people when, when, when they're moving into these elections. Now, the other thing that I the other thing that I wanted to hypothesize on is overall shifts in demographics and population. I think for those who are emerging into their 20s, mid 20s, I think that they can see a little more clearly that the status quo from the past or maybe some of the opportunities that their parents may have been presented with, uh, some of those opportunities and the economic possibilities are probably not there in quite the same way. And I think they probably have a little bit more of a desire for some sort of social safety net. And I think they're maybe looking elsewhere for a different type of social structure. And so that can often turn to political change.
3: Uh, Ian. I saw the last provincial election really from the standpoint of a, of a, a relatively new resident to Abbotsford. And uh, of course, Abbotsford was the one bubble in the Fraser Valley that also stayed with the Liberal Party, uh, as probably all of you are well aware. Um, well, two thirds of it
0: stayed with the Liberal Yeah, Party yeah. Except for, for mission,
3: mission, Mission. yeah, yeah. Sorry, Pamelex is uh, elected over um, by mission. Uh, so, but the the area where I live, South Poplar, um, stayed with the Liberals, uh, and so to to me it was uh, it was a sign that it was sort of business as usual, somewhat still very much in Abbotsford, uh, which I think is with the the traditions of the region, and certainly Abbotsford is the center of the the Bible Belt, as Stuart mentioned initially. But um, you know, I I'm wondering if we're seeing some big sort of demographic changes in terms of younger people moving out of the Vancouver, Burnaby New West area, uh, people like myself, uh, who are basically priced out of uh, the Vancouver area, or Vancouver proper. Uh, and, and, you know, this was really the only place area where uh, my partner, I could afford to, uh, to purchase a place, uh, to be frank, right. So, uh, you know, I think there, that is, and that is going to have a, I imagine, uh, some kind of an effect, you know, if there's more folks who are moving out uh like this uh on the sort of political cultures of the region um in in the long term i imagine and it could you know it could go in different ways because there's also you know gentrification possibilities and uh things like that um in the kind of densification of the whole region right so um that's my thought and then also i think um yeah there's 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 big changes just in terms of uh possibilities for the political cultures of the whole region and I'm pretty invested in uh, sort of local public history activities in Abbotsford uh, that I think are very much connected to the changing cultural um, and ethnic makeup of uh, the region as well. And I think, uh, you know, those are important things to pay attention to as well. Cheryl, your take.
4: Yeah, so I have a a few ideas about um, what changed, and I, I think we can't underestimate how terrible a leader Andrew Wilkinson is. Um, so I, I definitely think that had a big role in, in the results that we saw. Um, you know, it was notable to me that he was still going with tax cuts at, for the platform. And, you know, I think people are starting to catch on that that means actually service cuts. And um, during a pandemic, you need services uh, especially and so I I think that actually had something to do with it. I also think at that point um, underscored at that point that he hadn't completely screwed up the pandemic response just yet and so people were still pretty happy and um, also the Greens had done a pretty good job of making the NDP look really you know good to the public over the two years prior And um, I think all that went into uh, some of the shift that we saw in the Valley. And then finally, I also think just the fact that we're more urban now than ever meant we had urban problems we were looking for solutions to. And so that included definitely transit. Um, And so I think Horgan was in Langley twice Um, talking about SkyTrain, so I I certainly think that had, um, that was a good strategy on their part.
0: So certainly we had a lot of local situations around um, Fraser Valley, but I want to suggest that um, this is not the first time the Fraser Valley has led in a significant political shift. Um, 1994 was a banner year. Um, it was unclear following the 1991 election whether Gordon Wilson's uh, BC Liberals, uh, then a more centrist party, or Grace McCarthy's social credit would um, uh, be the dominant opposition party in uh, uh, to the then uh, Mike Harcourt NDP government. And there was a very, very hotly contested by-election. Um, just a second here. There was a very hotly contested by-election in 1994 in uh, the riding of Matsqui. Just a brief sidebar about Matsqui. those people who complain that indigenous names are taking over and we're losing our heritage. The only municipality in greater Vancouver that had an indigenous name, had that name taken away in 1995. But just prior to this, there was this crucially important by-election. Grace McCarthy, former deputy premier, considered, you know, the Margaret Thatcher of BC politics, went out to Matsquay. And this young, young urbane man, young progressive urbane fellow sought the BC Liberal nomination, Mike DeYoung. And there were shockwaves felt all over the province when Mike DeYoung of the BC Liberals beat Grace McCarthy in the Western half of Abbotsford. Uh, and so in many ways, Abbotsford is the play, was the crucible from which the new BC Liberal coalition formed. And I think this raises some, some interesting issues here. Mike DeYoung ran as a pro-choice Irreligious candidate. And um, in the uh, demolition derby that followed as the various right-wing parties coalesced into the BC Liberals, um, this um, young suburban secularist politics um, was seen as this new face of the Fraser Valley. But then that changed. Mike Young moved to the right. John Van Dongen, the anti-abortion, highly religious candidate, came to join that coalition. And of course, in the last election, the big liberal social conservatism scandal was Laurie Thraness and the very, very narrow contest in Chilliwack where the NDP just edged him out. So I also, and we also see the... um, You know, from Surrey, we've seen the movement of um, religious folks who were based in South Van or Surrey into Abbotsford, if we look at um, where uh, the more uh, temple going members of the Sikh community are moving. And so I'm wondering, do we see this as as a linear progression away from the old Fraser Valley? Or is there something cyclical to all this? Will we see the NDP starting to incorporate more of these, you know, to have more, candidate, uh, more candidates who have social conservative values or who are deficit hawks? Uh, how much of this is the NDP pulling the Fraser Valley into itself versus there being a real shift in the religiosity, social conservatism, et cetera? And uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll head to uh, let's try Avneet first Sure uh, there was uh,
2: quite quite a bit there Stuart and the first thing that I'll share is it makes me sad to think that Mike Young has been in politics for that long and since since that time now, it's I'm glad you were talking about Abbasford too because Abbotsford, I mean there's so many contradictions in in that place or perceived contradictions. I was having a look and I think it was maybe 2008, 2009, there was a massive crime in Abbotsford. It was also at the same time, according to Stats Canada, the most generous municipality or population within the country. The, the, in terms of the economy in Abbotsford, my understanding is that uh, the um, dollar per acre in terms of uh, agricultural land is higher than anywhere else. And I, I I know you're talking about sort of the religious aspect and the, and the um, social conservative aspect, but I I'm not sure for me if it's necessarily to do with the with the religious aspect per se. I I think that the family culture is it is an important part of the the overall Fraser Valley sort of culture. And and Ian was talking about sort of moving out to that region with family in in the context of his family and and thinking about a place to start a family and to grow a family. Um, And so thinking about folks who are moving from South Vancouver, I'm not sure necessarily if it's for religious reasons, more so than it is for sort of family reasons. And even looking at um, marriage rates in Vancouver, sort of comparing Metro Vancouver to the Fraser Valley, uh, ratios between sort of single people living on their own or married couples, far more married couples in the Fraser Valley, in particular in Abbotsford. So it's difficult for me to say necessarily about from the religious aspect, but I think from the sort of cultural aspect in terms of like the family aspect, that I think plays a more significant role in the shape and, and to makeup up of, of the Fraser Valley. Um, but I want to share just a couple of pieces about Abbotsford in general, because I I think there's a lot there. I mean, it's, it's a big region too. And I think sometimes people don't always recognize all of um, all that there is in Abbotsford. You've got your international airport. Uh, it's one of the most uh, populous places within the province. And so there's a lot happening. And I think it'd be difficult to pinpoint just one or two things that are happening in a place that's uh, that rich and complex.
1: Pro hockey is coming back to Abbotsford.
0: And,
2: and, and pro hockey is coming back, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, so Dean, uh, you're, you're already up. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's your take? Is this, um, is the Fraser Valley on a sort of uh, a leftward trajectory or a progressive trajectory or is this a cyclical thing?
1: I wonder if it's some kind of a cycle. Uh, I know we have the reputation of saying that, uh, that the valley is the Bible Belt and that Valley starts somewhere in the middle of Surrey, depending on how you define it. Uh, I don't know how that really affects things like uh, the local politics. They just had uh, a by-election in Langley. And I think, well, Cheryl probably remembers that better. I I don't know much about the candidate who won. I just know that the NDP affiliated person came third. Uh, There's uh, an Abbotsford, School trustee that was in the news this week posting a bunch of anti-mask kind of stuff. Uh, they've got their their weirdos on the Chilliwack school board. So as long as as long as people have a couple of those whatever social conservatives on their school board on their council, uh, we know that they're. Uh, They've got a hand in things in the local politics. In the, uh, in the provincial, the uh, ridings get bigger and bigger. I think there's like 50,000 voters in a riding now, so it's hard to, to draw a, um, a picture of what any one riding looks like. They're kind of taking in several neighborhoods at once now so uh
0: um on uh in part on the strength of your surname cheryl yeah. I'm, I'm i'm gonna i'm gonna head towards you before <laughs> ian uh i um uh now there's uh, i think evneet made a very helpful distinction between there being a um uh a Sikh religiosity versus a more general south asian culture that is more friendly to families that um it may not be a sort of by the book religiosity or an orthodox religiosity, but there's there's a culture to um, people who care about and care for their grandparents more, or, um, you know, people who are who are committed to providing housing for their kids for longer, or having more kids. Um, and obviously, there's a stereotype of the Mennonites, of the Fraser Valley of, Here we have a community that's characterized not just by religiosity, but also by these cultural factors around family. Um, But uh, one gets the sense that um, that there's, there's a dilution of all that, or at least that we're not seeing at a surface level the influence of the Mennonite community is exercised in the past, nor the role it's played in connecting other people of faith in larger coalitions, often, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, often, you know, there'd be more family-minded or religious-minded coalitions. They might be Mennonite-led, but they might include all kinds of 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 religious groups. What's What's your take on um, on how Mennonite the Fraser Valley is hmm. was and generational changes within that community?
4: Yeah. But- that's, that's a lot there. Um, but um, yeah, I definitely think the Mennonites are still going strong in the Fraser Valley. Um, not that I'm rooting for them necessarily, <laughs> but, um, but certainly there is still a very large community here. And um, I don't know that, I mean, I still think it's a very strong um, um, population in terms of their political um, effect. For example, in Langley, um, power to change and focus on the family are both here and now they are not necessarily Mennonite, but they're that same flavor um, of uh, of religious (laughs) um, ideology. And um, I do think though that the younger generations and and there is an acknowledgement of the church and and the Mennonite uh, church that the younger generations are leaving in droves And um, I do think that that has a lot to do with some of the social conservatism that is seen within the Mennonite church, Um, some of the exclusion of um, particularly LGBTQ, um, the uh, people and the community. Um, And so certainly you see young people uh, gaining more independence from the church. I also think that the pandemic has led to a bit more independence from the church, Um, you know, so that might be a temporary effect that we're seeing. Um, But I also think in in the Fraser Valley, and particularly in Langley, the Mennonite community has a, a stronger hold than most people would realize on politics. And actually, I, I find it interesting, the Langley Prayer Breakfast website actually makes it clear that their um, desire to bring the religious community together with the political community is one that they, they want to be quiet about. Um, and Like it literally, I think, uses the word quiet. And, and so this is, um, this is like an underground type thing. But it's very much still at play, and so I don't think we should underestimate it because this is, of course, still the same area that keeps electing. Um, I mean, you mentioned Lori Throness, and he he was beat, but we still keep electing Barry Newfelt, for example. And and I think some of the decrease in liberal support is actually because they're not conservative enough, right? And and so um, I wouldn't want. To um, you know, have people walk away from listening to this thinking that uh, the, the Mennonites aren't still a force? <laughs>
0: uh, now, Ian, you you have a classroom full of the children, yeah. grandchildren of. I was um, going to say, think Mennonite, uh, Evangelical, Catholic pioneers. Um, what's it like? What's uh, what's your take on these? Yeah, children?
3: thanks for that question. And, and as Charlotte was speaking, I was totally thinking about my students, and you know what I see on a sort of daily basis in my classroom, and it what, what she was saying was re- really resonated. You know, like there's, um, you know, there's a there's a you see a political divide often among your students, you see more conservative students, and then you see students who are, you know, more on the, the left side of the spectrum. And, um, you know, I think there is a real uh, generational divide as, as Cheryl was depicting there um, in terms of, um, you know, younger Mennonites, uh, especially. Um, but also younger Sikh students as well, who are, uh, who you know, they're either imagining themselves moving away from uh, the Fraser Valley or you know near where their parents are when they're older, or they are um, they want to see the change happening uh, here in Abbotsford, um, you know, in their in their lifetime kind of thing, in 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 terms of a political shift. And I, I think to the point about um, Mennonite. Uh, influence on political culture, well, uh, I know uh, Dave Lowen, who's a big city councillor in Abbotsford currently, um, as well as uh, Henry Braun, the mayor, uh, they both identify uh, with the Mennonite community. Uh, I think if you look at the makeup of city council in Abbotsford, uh, it is predominantly uh, white, and also there are, uh, you know, significant Mennonite influences within that power structure, and it doesn't reflect the demographics of of Abbotsford. You know, you've, much of West Abbotsford, for example, is um, Punjabi Sikh, and um, you don't see that reflected in in the city council. Um, Kelly Shahal is the only um, uh, uh, visible person of color on the uh, on the on the on the council, and uh, you know, I think that there it's ripe for change at the local level. Um, also, you know, you think about the provincial election. Um, you know, the far-right uh, Christian Heritage Party um, uh, ran their leader in Abbotsford here as well, right, which, uh, you know, obviously they didn't make a huge splash in the election, but it seemed symbolically significant that that person was uh, brought in, um, uh, you know, to Abbotsford, so... Um.
0: It is Monday, May the 10th, and you are listening to CFUR 88.7 on your FM dial. The show is Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George. I'm your host, Stuart Parker, and uh, we are in the middle of a panel discussion of the big political shifts that are taking place in British Columbia's Fraser Valley. I have with me Ian Roxburgh Smith, professor of history at University of the Fraser Valley, Uh, Avneet Joe Hall from the University of British Columbia and uh, two Green Party candidates who ran in the valley in the last election. Cheryl Weans, longtime uh, uh, resident of uh, the region as is Dean McGee. Cheryl works in the field of public health, dean in industrial contracting. That actually takes us to quite an interesting point. So last election, there's no doubt that the B.C. liberals generally lost their hold. They ran a terrible campaign. They did a crap job. Here in northern British Columbia and in the rest of the province's industrial fringe, like the East Kootenays, like Kamloops, like the Caribou, what we saw was um, we had one of the Libertarian candidates got over 10% of the vote for the first time in BC history. Christian Heritage Party won over 10% of the vote in uh, ridings in the North for the first time in BC history. Uh, We had the rural BC party, which is Culturally conservative, fiscally not conservative at all. It's a little bit like the Zapatistas are a political party here. They favor radical land reform and social conservatism. Naturally, I personally find them rather appealing. They ran for the first time, again, social conservatives over 10 percent of the vote. In the peace country, the Tories got over 30 percent of the vote and came in second, displacing the NDP. So in the resource periphery, which is also contains many people of faith, the story of the provincial election was the green vote going down, the NDP vote going down, the liberal vote staying and massive increases in the popular vote of any party that appeared to be a party of the right. Now that could have been the story in the Fraser Valley, Uh, but it was mostly not. The NDP's vote went up. This was not just right-wing fringe candidates getting more votes, and in men, and in some cases, right-wing fringe candidates did, but in an equal or greater number of cases, they did not. Uh, and so, what's the difference between, um, you know, these? Uh, you know, in some ways, culturally similar regions that had similar voting patterns for decades prior to this. There does seem to be a pulling away here. And Evneet, you go first.
2: Thanks, Stuart. It's a great question to kind of bring it into the broader context of the province. And I think one of the questions that jumps out to me, and I think Cheryl touched on this a little bit earlier, is the urbanization or perceived urbanization. And so one of the questions that comes to my mind is how do voters see themselves in the Fraser Valley, do they perceive themselves as a rural area and community? Or is there a sense that, wait a minute, we have urban value too. And so some of the things I was mentioning before in terms of the airport, now Dean's mentioned pro hockey like is there this sense that actually this is the hub or can be the urban center and we are developing in that way and I'm just wondering if people's perceptions of themselves and of their communities and of their valley is no longer one or is perhaps shifting from that of a rural area and more of a of an, of an, of an urban, urban center. And just to add to that, I, um, we were hearing a little bit about the, the arts and culture scene. I mean, again, something else that is emerging and developing within the Fraser Valley, uh, strong communities around that type of work. And often one might associate that type of work or those types of spaces with more urban centers. And so I think that's sort of one, one, one piece that um, that's probably worth considering in this question in this context. Uh, other observations,
1: Dean? Well, the idea of uh, Abbotsford possibly turning itself into a a hub, or or that it already is becoming the hub of the valley. Uh, You know, all the the long-term plans in the 70s, 80s said that Surrey was supposed to be the second urban center to the GVRD, which they don't call the GVRD anymore. And uh, especially the current council in Surrey they seem happy to just extend the SkyTrain to the next couple of stations and keep going as the suburb to Vancouver instead of trying to make Surrey the next hub. They, They can see the numbers that 10 years, maximum 20 years, there'll be more people in Surrey than Vancouver, but they're still running it as the backwater instead of turning it into a, um, into a, a hub, an urban center. And meanwhile, Abbotsford is gonna start competing uh, in, in raw numbers, a lot smaller than Surrey. But like uh, Avneet said, uh, airport, hockey rink, all these things centered in Abbotsford, uh, its own university, that, it's, it's also um, where the highway
3: uh, is supposed to supposedly expand more uh, at this point too. which yeah. is the big big thing. Yeah, so not uh, everyone is for.
1: You know, uh, building uh, building industry in uh, in Abbotsford. I mean, you have to go go looking to find industry in Surrey. It is there, but uh, if you come from Vancouver, all you know about Surrey is the Wally Strip. And then whatever neighborhood your one friend lives in that you go and visit. (laughs) And uh, that's that's how every Vancouver person seems to seems to uh, think of Surrey and, you know, Abbotsford at least is making an effort at turning itself into uh, the center of its own, uh, the master of its own domain.
0: Uh, Other observations. Ian or Cheryl about this uh, this divergence uh, between um, the uh, the industrial periphery and the the Bible Belt or the former Bible Belt. Cheryl,
4: yeah, I mean, I think that certainly we are as an entire area becoming less white, <laughs> and and there is um I think some data to suggest uh, it's certainly not all. Uh, people of color vote more progressively, but um, I do think um, there is a tendency um, and particularly among younger uh, age groups. And um, so I think that has something to do with it. I don't think it explains the whole um, change. And, and that's why I do think the, urban, the urbanization and, and the greater concern around urban um, issues which is something that the NDP platform addressed much better than the Liberal platform um, had had quite a large effect uh, on that swing that we saw.
0: Ian,
3: yeah, I I I think that um, overall, the, you know, the population changes uh, in the valley, but centered in Abbotsford. I think that's why so much of this conversation seems to be coming back to you know about what's, what's happening in Abbotsford. Uh, are going to be kind of crucial to, you know, answering the questions of where things are going to go in in the Valley. There was a really interesting report uh, that was published recently in the Abbotsford News covered. I'm not sure if I got coverage in other um, news sources, um, but it's uh, the Abbotsford BC Housing Needs Report from April 11th of 2021. Uh, And it projects Abbotsford population growth. Um, Currently, it's 140,000 plus people. By 2026, it's supposed to grow by 170,000 more. Um, And, uh, you know, it looks at sort of the report's really fascinating because it breaks things down demographically in terms of age, uh, ethnicity. Um, You know, it talks about the homeless population growing between 2017 and 2020 uh, around 21.5%. And the single family homes uh, in Abbotsford rose 79%. Uh, in uh, in how much they were worth uh, over five years through 2019 to sort of an average uh, price of 811 thousand um, dollars. I can say safely that our place is well below that average. Uh, but uh, but you know it just sort of gives you an indication that it's kind of like growth all around. So it's really question of a big question of like so what what is that going to look like? How is that going to play out in political culture? And maybe this is all obvious to everyone. Um, you know, here on the panel, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, huge growing demographic of young people, young people of color, especially uh, what I see in, um, you know, if if you, if you go to, you know, lots of uh, the sort of um, like the, the low wage sector, um, uh, you know, workers, frontline workers currently in, in lots of places in Abbotsford. Uh, a lot of them are, are, are young people who've recently uh, immigrated from, from India. Um, and, you know, they're, they're trying to go to school uh, uh, in this part of uh, the world. Um, you know, and they're, um, I suspect a lot of them are, are just scraping by. I've heard some horrible stories uh, of, you know, about international students being exploited. Um, and uh, you know facing uh, you know situations where they're almost like indentured servants where they're living at, um, you know in, in, um, in very sort of dangerous uh, situations um, and uh, you know it's it's a wonder they're able even, able to even attend classes uh, given the, the stresses that are in their lives. So uh, you know I feel like this this is all part of uh, the big changes that are happening um, and uh, you know there are some very conservative, um, uh, right-wing elements that are trying to hang on to power here in Abbotsford. And, you know, folks mentioned um, uh, that uh, school board trustee, uh, there's another counselor named Brenda Falk, who's been in the news recently. She owns uh, Tangle Bank uh, uh, or Tanglewood, uh, Tangle Bank, Tanglewood, I forget, it's a restaurant, uh, sort of like a, a near a farm and uh uh, they were uh, in the news in the summer for uh supporting all lives matter um and uh you know so it was uh you know the people and she's also been very much uh as sort of one of the anti-mask anti-masker activists uh and you know she's a sitting counselor um uh with the city right now and i think that there there is a block of these these folks who uh you know, I would argue are, are, are treading into kind of the you know white supremacy area of politics um, and being very open about um, their positionality in, in these uh, areas uh, and I think that you know there's a real tension going on um, you know between sort of what what Abbotsford could be um, and what it was or what people imagined it to be uh, and these kinds of things So you know that's where I'm, I'm really interested in, in the public history element of it too because, I'm a historian and um there's a there's a, some revelations recently about the uh the trethaway heritage site which was a uh one of the local sort of uh museum sites uh in abbotsford it was donated by the trethaway family in 1981 to the city of abbotsford and um it was uh uh it was revealed recently that one of the uh um, one of the sons who helped start the company uh, in 1910s and 20s also brought the first chapter of the KKK to Abbotsford in 1925. Uh, so uh, one wonders, you know, why uh, this heritage site, uh, which was erected in the 1980s, uh, hasn't had more sort of scrutiny. Um, you know, it's been sort of well known among certain circles that one of the brothers of the company uh, helped start the first KKK, uh, but I see Cheryl's probably got some good uh, commentary on this as well, so I'd love to hear uh, from her. Um, but well, uh,
4: yeah, I was just yeah. writing in the in the chat that we have going on on the side here that um, I was part of a bridal party that took pictures on the steps of the we. I've always called it Trithui, but I don't know if I, I'm probably pronouncing. Yeah, it Trithui, wrong, but,
3: Trithui. Yeah. But
4: uh, yeah, um, I, I took pictures on the steps of that house, and now i um, Reconsidering <laughs> the wisdom of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, when you know better, you do better, right?
0: Well, I think there's um, this actually brings up an interesting question around continuity. Um, now, of course, we've talked a lot about the continuity of uh, more conservative establishment figures and power blocks, how their strategies are changing, how they're losing control. There was an old left Fraser Valley. We have to remember that um, at the height of the Back to the Lander movement uh, during the Vietnam draft, uh, the, there were some regions of the Fraser Valley that um, we saw as left wing. We saw the area between Harrison and Mission. That was a hotbed of Back to the Landers. Of course, we had Crescent Beach in Surrey. Um, we also had Fort Langley. Fort Langley uh, tended to be a left voting area. And then we have to remember the creation of Langley City. Langley City still contains the poorest people in the Lower Mainland. And throughout the 80s and 90s, um, you had unaffiliated socialists like Councillor Arneson really swinging a lot of weight around there. And finally, um, of course, we have one image of the Mennonites that focuses on reproductive rights and um, things like that. But there's another vision of the Mennonites that those of us from the peace movement remember, the Mennonite Central Committee staffers led the protests of the Abbotsford air show. And I'm interested in having a sense of whether there's any continuity between the old Fraser Valley left and the new progressive Fraser Valley or whether this is an instance of historical disjunction. And Cheryl, you go first.
4: Yeah, I just, I have to jump in first because actually I, I absolutely think there is a continuity um, because um, Fort Langley is absolutely still a progressive voting area. Um, they, they vote green quite reliably. <laughs> and um, a number of my uh, campaign volunteers and, and, and campaign team came from there. And in fact, um, the um, person on my campaign who handled fundraising and communications, what works for the MCC, and um, and is from Fort Langley, and and so uh, I, I think you're just like right on with with what you're talking about. The the that progressive um, demographic absolutely still exists. Yeah.
0: Uh Dean in Surrey, is that sort of a, is there a similar story there? Do we see a continuity between um Eve Anderson and Wade Lehman and uh those environmentalists or the um, you know, the crescent beach scene? How much does that inform the left that you encounter in
1: Surrey? I think maybe uh maybe a lot of that Crescent Beach kind of group is uh is maybe more on the green side than the NDP. Uh, I'm not really sure uh, who's running <laughs> things in the Surrey NDP these days, uh, but uh, certainly you have the demographic shift with the um, with the South Asian population, where that's uh, you know it's something like. 30% South Asian in Surrey and that was probably the last census so it's probably going up and that means you've got neighborhoods where, where you've got at least 50% South Asian population and so the gurdwaras and the temples those are the places where I think a lot of the a lot of the organizing is going on.
0: So you'd see more of a continuity between the um, Chiron Gill Old Surrey Left than the uh, than uh, the uh, Anglo Old Surrey Left, that um, we see more of the imprint of, uh, and it's interesting, right, Chiron Gill as sort of the Cesar Chavez of BC politics, uh, organizer of the Farm Workers Union, human rights lawyer, all that stuff, he was always the throwaway NDP candidate in Cloverdale, the unwinnable seat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, you were partly sucked into the NDP because uh, Cloverdale ceased to be the unwinnable seat and uh, they um, pushed Rebecca Smith aside and handed the seat to a star candidate. Um, And I, I have to wonder about stories like that, where you see um, the new Democrats having a choice between a continuity politically and culturally with the NDP of the Cold War, and how I'm wondering how much of this is the NDP creating a discontinuity, showing that the Horgan government is not like the Clark government or the Harcourt government or the Barrett government, showing that this is a government that does business. Uh, so yeah, we talked uh, a lot about how the Valley's shifting towards the NDP. We haven't talked so much about the NDP shifting towards the Valley.
1: Yeah, the uh, I'm trying to think who's left of the, the old NDP. And, uh, you know, Ralston's been around for ages and uh, chances are just my own thinking, uh, he probably won't give it one won't give it another election maybe one more uh and then who else have you got uh Ginny sims has been around for a while but uh you would see you would see the old timers around some of the meetings but uh nobody nobody else from ralston's generation is still uh still running there
0: i was struck by the fact that sharon gill was not introduced at rachna singh's first nomination meeting Huh. That uh, uh, that the, um, the 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 person we associate with that past, with you know the confidant of Harry Rank and that sort of thing. Uh, I thought there was some interesting non-pageantry at that meeting. Jagmeet Singh managed to say hello in thirteen languages, but we didn't meet Sharon Gill. Uh, so I'm I'm curious about that. How much do you think people in the Fraser Valley are go, are reassessing? The NDP reassessing the Greens, reassessing what the parties mean versus how much uh, their opinions are, in fact, changing, uh, interested in other folks' perspectives there. Let's go to neat Sure, these
2: are great questions. In terms of how much that reassessment is taking place, I'll, I'll come back a little bit to some of the demographic changes first and then go to the reassessment. In terms of the demographics, I think Ian's spoken well about how there's a movement from folks from outside of Abbotsford, outside the Fraser Valley moving east into the Fraser Valley, and so bringing with them potentially different cultural histories, different values into those communities. And then also, as you see, the younger generations coming of age within the Fraser Valley. Now, I think it's always been the case that people, um, you know, will go to religious centers not only for salvation but for social relations. And so though when you're in those spaces and we're talking about the religious components or the cultural components those sorts of social, social dynamics and interactions I and mean, I think those are shifting particularly for for younger people and so with those shifts not only of those who are coming of age within the Fraser Valley but also those who are moving east and bringing those cultural values and norms with them that I think is producing grounds for 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 a lot of that reassessment and when you have younger people leaving whether it's the Mennonite um, arenas in, in droves, as was said earlier, again, that, those types of conditions, I think, produce an opportunity to reassess, well, where do I situate myself or where do I fit politically? Where do I fit culturally? Where do I want to go? And that can be in a more literal sense. Do, do I want to remain in the Fraser Valley? Is this my place? Or where do I want the Fraser Valley to go in terms of what do I want this place to become and, and what do I see this as? And so I think there are conditions where people are really beginning to think about that and beginning to imagine that. And it ties back into what we were talking about before in terms of the urbanization and the development of Abbotsford as a hub of the Fraser Valley, as an active dynamic place where populations are growing, services are growing, opportunities may be growing. And so all of these conditions together, I think absolutely provide conditions for people to reassess where does this place lie socially, culturally, politically, religiously? And where do I fit within that picture? And where do I situate myself in that context? So I would say absolutely. I think there's a lot of reassessment that has been taking place over the past maybe five, 10 years. And I think that'll continue for a little,
0: for a little while yet. Yeah, Ian, uh, what's your take on uh, the NDP? I think tried to roll out the welcome map to people with a, a center-right sensibility. Abject failure in my neck of the woods where there are no young people staying, but uh, or far fewer. And I do think that that's a sharp demographic difference between these two parts of old BC liberal country. But, um, what's your take? Or, um, has the NDP shed historical baggage, acquired a new image? Is that part of the equation
3: here? Um, I'm not sure. Like, because I, I mean, if we're thinking, if we're talking about the provincial election, uh, yeah, that just, that just happened like i i in our writing here um they brought in a candidate uh really kind of last minute and uh um you know i um i i can't even remember the candidate's name at this point because it was sort of uh it it, it it you know i don't think they tried hard enough is what i'm saying uh in in the provincial election here um you know i think that they i don't know what happened uh uh at the you know, at the um, the leadership levels, but it just sounded like it was uh, uh, a bit of an afterthought, and I think that was a strategic misplay on their part because uh, I think there there would have been more opportunity to uh, you know had had they organized more and and, and um, gotten um, more sort of uh, momentum uh, that I think probably could have really easily challenged people like Bruce Bandman who ended up getting um, getting. Back into uh, the seat here, right? And actually, there's a by election happening now in the city level because he was also sitting as a counselor or is still sitting as a councillor. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I just feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, say what you will about the NDP's shift to, you know, a governing kind of center, if you will, uh, in more recent times. Uh, it's, uh, I just feel like they missed uh, an opportunity. Um, to To organize more uh, around the provincial election in Abbotsford here, and again, I was really busy teaching classes and things, so I, I couldn't get that involved with the campaigns. But uh, yeah.
0: So in fact, they could have reaped more. That their level so. of popular support was actually greater than came out. All the that was
3: that people. was my sense. I think yeah.
0: that's a striking observation. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cheryl, what, what's what's your take in that? Um, how much? Um, how much is this? Um, people meeting the NDP where it is and how much of it is the NDP meeting people where they are?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great question because I do see the NDP as having um, shifted from um, how they were viewed in the past. So one thing that I've heard many times in the past about the NDP is that they spend way too much. They're terrible money managers. There's always a huge debt that they leave behind and then you gotta bring in the liberals or you know, the more conservative party to just clean it all up, right? And, um, and I think that you know they had a good strategy in some ways to counteract that narrative with Carol James as finance minister and making sure that the, the budgets were balanced, um, that they weren't adding to the debt uh, at the same time, they were still able to put money into things like daycare um, that made a real financial difference to people out here, uh, to families out here. And, um, you know, and then if you compared that to how the liberals ended their reign with um, money laundering and, you know, taking money from ICBC, um, you start to see how people in the Valley could be like, maybe the liberals aren't the best money managers anymore. Maybe the NDP is is going to be better on that front. And and so, um, you know, and I, I sort of see that continuing, but to a greater extent now that Selena Robinson tabled the latest budget, which fell way short of what they promised. Um, you would think during a pandemic spending might be at a, at a high point. Um, but um, I would say that that was a fairly um, conservative budget that was tabled for a time such as this um, most recently. So um, I do think they are trying to shift the narrative of the NDP on um, on uh, fiscal management.
0: And certainly that was much assisted by Rich Coleman being such a high profile Valley MLA and having all that criminality associated with my, I could see how that also fits into the story. But I think you hit upon something important and material here, much as we didn't see $10 a day childcare, right? That's an area of spending that people see the NDP as having done something. And I think this fits very well into the demographic big picture you guys have painted of young families and young people that um, age seems to be driving this more than anything else. And certainly helps to explain the divergent be- between the two right-wing parts of the province: One that's bleeding young people, one that's acquiring them. So uh, on that note, we've managed to soak up uh, nearly an hour. Uh, so I wanna thank you all very much. And uh, I'm hopeful we can do something like this again. Thanks.
4: Thank you. All Thanks, right.
0: It's we'll see nice you later. Nice folks. to meet you all. Yeah, All right. Much appreciated. <laughs> this has been another broadcast of Missing Peter Zosky in Prince George on CFUR 88.7. Co-sponsored by Los Altos Institute. L-O-S-A-L-T-O-S dot